Kia ora and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. Um, this is me, Pip Adam. Hello. Um, we're up to, I think, about episode 56, which is, um, yeah, that's more than 55. Um, the last um, episode we did was in summer. We haven't done one since then. Um, I'm sorry. It's been a busy time. Um, but yeah, we're back. And um, yeah, there could be quite a few episodes in quick succession if things go the way that I'm planning. Mahaha. Anyway, um, today's episode is an interview with me, um, which is odd haven't done that before um, but yeah it's a recording of an event that took place at Unity Bookshop um, in Wellington yesterday at lunchtime. Um, thank you so much Unity Books it was just wonderful to be hosted by you. Um, Kirsten McDougall who is an amazing writer and a very intelligent person and friend interviewed me and I'm very grateful for that. Um, Tara Black also did an amazing sort of um, note-taking cartoon of it and um, I will put a link to that in um, the um, Better Off Red WordPress page which is betterrednz.wordpress.com I'll do that um, yes is there anyone else I need to thank oh yes thank you to everyone who came along man it was such a lovely turnout it was so great to meet some people and see some people and yeah it was really awesome and yeah um, yeah I hope you enjoy it um, maybe because um yeah I recorded it because a few people said they weren't able to make it because they live in a lot of other places <laughs> um but also I thought yeah I was a bit burbly and weird so hopefully um it might be easier to listen to it without um looking at me being burbly and weird anyway thank you so much and I hope you enjoy it and yeah keep an eye out um there's some exciting events coming up and we're really looking forward to them and yeah I'm going to be talking to some very cool people in the next couple of weeks so yes thank you very much bye bye oh whoops it's me again sorry I forgot to say one last thing um Kirsten opens the floor up for questions and you can hear the questions that are asked in the front row but not in the back and someone asked a very astute question about the animals that are in the new animals and um you can't hear it so I've just sort of edited it out so you'll come across this weird thing where Kirsten will say I think we have a question back there then there'll be a little bit of silence and then there'll be me answering the question I'm really sorry to the person who asked the question um but yeah my recorder was just facing the wrong way anyway um yes so that's what happens there it's not a mystery anyway thank you Hey, welcome everyone um, to Unity Books on this um, cold, winterish Wellington day. Thank you for hosting us, Unity. Um, and I'm really delighted to be here with Pip, who I've known, I think, since about 2012 when we went on, a, we organised our own book tour with Ashley Young. So it's really wonderful to be here with you, Pip. And I was so delighted about three weeks ago when um, I was sitting in the theatre at the ASB, ATIA Theatre, and um, 
they called out your name for New Zealand's largest fiction prize, the Acorn Foundation Fiction Prize um, at the New Zealand <coughs> Awards. Um, yeah, so congratulations, Pip. <laughs> what, what went through your mind when, when they called your name out? Um, I didn't know that they'd called my name out. I, um, the whole thing, I'd, I'd engineered the whole thing to be a lesson in how to be a good loser for Tallulah, like, um, and how to carry on with your art when things don't go your way, and da da. And also, I really didn't expect to win at all, and so I was sort of clapping because I thought it was someone else. It's so embarrassing because it all sounds untrue, but um, like, so I was clapping away, and then Fergus was standing there going. <coughs> hello and yeah and then I walked on stage and I had this dreadful moment where I looked up and I thought that photo looks a lot like Branavan not like me and like I thought that I was like some weird person just wandering around on stage you know like and someone was going to come and lead me off quietly and yeah so um that's but I instantly felt incredibly grateful like I just couldn't believe that anyone would be that kind yeah Aww. like yeah well it's not actually kindness it's it's something else it's mm. it's a it's yeah celebrating your brilliance. I'll just read this bit um, by uh, one of the judges, Anna Smale, she wrote in The Listener about why the judges chose Pip's book. Um, she says, the commitment that distinguishes the novel's style is visible in the originality of its subject matter and structure. The book looks at de with deep seriousness at ostensibly trivial worlds of fashion and hairdressing. It scales the painful places where inner and outer lives meet. It examines the juncture between human and animal experience and the relationship between waste and beauty. It is willing to leap into the surreal in order to capture the weird violence and strangeness of being alive in this post-colonial island nation in the 21st century. Which is a beautiful kind of summing up of what you're doing in the book. But I wondered if, for the people here who perhaps haven't read the book, you might just briefly describe the new animals in your own words. Gosh, okay. Um... <clears throat> To me, it's a book about fluidity. Like, I mean, I think for anything that I write, I ha try to have something at the centre, you know, some kind of touchstone. And the touchstone for this was very much um, the headless chicken song, um, Expecting to Fly, which I just played endlessly. And then towards the end, it shifted and it was more a... Um, yeah, it, it was a Kate Kitchen song which I played over and over again. So when I'd write, I'd listen to the song and I'd always be writing towards that and um, also towards the idea of fluidity. Um, fluidity of gender, fluidity of bodies, fluidity of mind, fluidity of art. So like that sort of, that doesn't tell you a lot about the plot. But yeah, no, like but that, that, you know, that's sort of what the book is to me. Like it's sort of a manifestation of that interest that I had in bodies that shift and bodies that change. And um, just, yeah, like that there's some malleability in who we are over time and some malleability about who we are with different people. So yeah, it was kind of about that. So that, so that when you're kind of making characters move around in a room, that, is that the drive behind? That's always what you're kind of wanting to express through those characters yeah. yeah I was very very excited by um there's a book which is called Kitchen Venom which is by um Philip Hencher which um talks about privileged people and um it it uses this amazing omniscient I've always been obsessed with the omniscient um narrator mm -hmm. like um because I've always been very confused about these narrators that disappear, these eye of God that sort of, and I'm like, I used to be a real pain um, in, um, when I did English 
literature as an adult um, at university because I'd be like, where's that person standing? You know, like, where's the person that can see everything? Where are they? Do you mean and, like physically in space? Yeah, there, yeah, they? which yeah, is, yeah, that's yeah. not what you're supposed oh, to be no, thinking. No. Um, but like, and I think that's the thing is that I love the way Philip Henscher just moves in and out of consciousness. Like, it's just this beautiful moving around of a room and just this one of, it's limited, but it just moves. And that really interested me for this, you know, mm. that, that, um, you know, we could move through a room rather than being seated in one consciousness. We would have opportunities to see the same room from different consciousnesses. Yeah, I mean, you certainly do capture that fluidity. I was reading that um, final group kind of cast scene when they're in the workroom, um, uh, deciding which clothes they'll use for a fashion shoot. So they've got hairdressers there and a model and the designers. And you move around those characters just so beautifully. It's actually hard to see the seams in the writing actually mm. when when you're moving it's like we kind of slip between but we're always very clear about who we're with and yeah yeah it's, yeah. it's incredible um so all of the characters one of the things I was thinking about yesterday was um that they all live these very brittle lives they're all scared they're going to lose their jobs they're scared they're going to lose their cool factor although they're going to lose each other as friends um you know if they were even real friends to begin with they even wonder about that um, and they, they're worried that they're going to get found out as imposters. Can you talk about the, this fear that they all have? Because um, it feels to me like that's part of the energy of the book. But, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess that I guess insecurity is part of it, you know insecurity is part of the sort of byproduct of fluidity in a way. You know what I mean? Like if things are unstable and moving, then um, we're constantly readjusting ourselves for who we are. And like I guess in my mind fear and doubt are actually really useful things in a life you know I think there's nothing more dangerous than someone who's sure of themselves now and was sure of themselves yesterday and will be sure of themselves tomorrow you know like um and you know I think that that's where that fear sits also um yeah I'm interested in fear you know fear is often seen as well for me I'll just talk about me like if I'm frightened I think oh that's a um that's kind of a good person's fault, you know what I mean? Like it's a good person's fault, but fear can be incredibly corroding. Like fear, mm. if I'm coming from fear, it can often be dangerous because I'll get defensive and strange and angry. And I was quite interested in that idea as well. You know, we, we you know, anxiousness, um, sometimes I find myself valuing it in myself. Like I'm like, oh, you know, it's good that you're not, you know, confident. But I just, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that at the moment as well. Just that kind of... You know, fear can be dangerous, I think. Yeah, well, it certainly, I mean, certainly that it creates a tension in the book that keeps you on your toes. And mm. yeah, I think, I guess that's what I, I feel like is part of the driver and a lot of the characters. And um, one of the important points of tension in the book um, as well is this um, idea of class conflict. So you've got um, between these sort of two different generations. And I just wondered if you could um, just explain that really briefly, what that is, and then why that was important for you to explore. Yeah, um, I was really interested in it kind of from the hairdressing point of view where um, I used to work in a hairdressing salon in Auckland which was in a very wealthy part of town and um, we were expected to dress in a certain way. Like it wasn't palatable for the people coming to us that we were not paid well and that we were... You know, and, and I was always interested in the service industry kind of stuff that we have going on, you know, that, um, you know, and I would go often to photo shoots and, you know, I'd have to, you know, often I wouldn't eat, but I'd buy a new pair of shoes or something like that. And, you know, that was largely my fault. That wasn't, you know, but there was this odd pressure about, 
you know, presenting as one class when maybe we were operating as another. And and I think in the book, you know, like the the young guys that run the um, run the um, design company, the label, are very rich, you know. And um, I guess for me. I'm really interested in that idea that you can't be rich and talented because I think you you can you definitely can be rich and talented but I was also interested about opportunity like who gets the opportunities who gets the opportunity to speak who gets the opportunity to show and and you know I guess Sharona is one of my favorite characters for that reason and that you know if things that if there'd been slightly more money behind Sharona there's a possibility that the tables would have been slightly turned but yeah yeah I just think, I think it was a real reaction to that neoliberal idea that if we just work hard enough, everything will be okay. And that's simply, I don't know, like, I have not found that to be no, true. No, no, neither have I. Maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, oh, I just had a thought to send. It'll come back to me. I, I wondered, do you want to do, do a little bit of a reading? I, I texted Pip last night and I said, can you choose something that's mesmeric or has a musical quality to your ear? I don't know if you... Chosen something along I those lines, or? I'm going to do something really, um, which seems like a silly idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm just going to try and do this conversation between. Um, okay, now we're in trouble. While I was writing this, Elodie was always Elodie, but since then everyone's told me it's Elodie, and I. <laughs> so I'm going to try and do Elodie, but I'll slip back. So this is a phone <laughs> conversation between Elodie and Carla, who's a hairdresser. Elodie's a makeup artist. Um, should I start from here? Yeah. <clears throat> Carla looked at back at her phone just as it rang. It was Elodie. Hi, I'm um, just a laugh. Is this true? Elodie's high rising terminal, her smile forcing the words up as well. Everything in her was so light it floated up and away. About tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Is it a problem? No, no, I, I just wanted to check because through gritted tooth smile, her mock frustration, it was always mock with Elodie. Nothing made her angry. It all just seems a bit sudden. Carla could almost hear Elodie's head nodding back and forward, tick, tick, never still, moving like a dancer, like there was music in her always. Are the clothes there? Elodie asked. I'm unsure, but I suspect not, Carla said. Cool, cool. There was so much energy around Elodie, what, like she was sparking. Maybe Sharona would know. Everything was tentative, always asked into Elodie's body, pulling the words back into her head like she could all still take them back if they caused offence. Everyone else's feelings always at the front of her mind. Yeah, look, Carla said, Sharona probably won't want a phone call. Right, if the samples aren't there, right, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure they'll just call it off. No one can waste a whole day in Avondale, Elodie said. Fucking Avondale, Carla tried to make a joke. Right, Elodie laughed. I can call her later, but not now. Now the workroom looks, um, worried, Elodie asked, worried. So they're not here. Elodie sounded sad, but it was concern for Sharona. Elodie was always fine. She didn't need any of her concern for herself. She faced everything like she'd, always, like she'd already done it. Well, you see, I didn't say that, Carla said no. Carla felt like Elodie didn't need to know whether the samples were here or not. But hairdressers always thought that about makeup artists, and makeup artists always thought that about hairdressers. Carla would shout across the room, don't get makeup in my hair, to which Elodie would reply, don't get hair in my makeup, which made them both laugh. Tommy, Cal and Kurt always considered makeup last. 
Carla said Elodie didn't get free, Carla and Elodie didn't get free clothes and neither of them got paid very well. It was like a race to be second worst, second most irrelevant. All of this bugged Carla, but when she tried to talk to Elodie about it, Elodie said they were lucky that no one paid them much attention and she'd smile and the conversation would be over and they'd talk about something else. Thanks, Bert. Um, do you, can you just say briefly about where this project began? Because it had, a, it had another title, I know. Um, <laughs> well, in fact, it had another title until in the editing process until still, didn't Holly it? Holly gave it the fantastic yeah. title that it now has. Yeah, yeah. so, so where, did it, where did it begin for you? Um, well, I, I joked, never ever say publicly what you're working on, ah. because this, um, this for years was my... Um, Hare Krishna Mermaid Murder um, novel, <laughs> and um, yeah, it was it was a deep investigation into. I used to be in a relationship who was a devotee, and you know, like I spent a lot of time at Temple, and I was very interested, and in, um, yeah, I still feel very strongly about Hinduism, and you know, feel an affinity there. And for a long time, it was a lot about. Um, you know, um, Bhagavad Gita and ideas of under the sea and ideas of bigness and smallness and that kind of thing. And then um, that slowly floated away. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of where it started, but it always had this one image in it right from the very start. Like I wrote it three times because I'm not very good at revision, but at every stage it had this one image in it, which I've had since I visited. I was really lucky. I visited Samoa, um maybe 10 or 12 years ago and and there I was just struck by this one image and so yeah I was always writing towards that one image so yeah uh, that's sort of where it started a mess <laughs> think, yeah. when, when you say you're not very good at revision what, what do you mean um I think I said once and I'd stand by it always oh hey baby is that's a very cute baby um sorry um I I'd stand by it um still is that I um like starting again is my crack cocaine like oh, I just yes. I just have a lot of trouble taking something that's already there and moving it around you know like it, I just always want to be starting again you know and um but I do love revision once I have a draft that I've decided that I'm sticking with I don't enjoy the first draft like I don't enjoy I've got a friend who goes oh but you sit there and the winds and you're here and anything's possible and I don't feel comfortable with that I'd much rather revise something that's already there but I think that I do have this tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say uh -huh. oh you know that that sucks let's start again right but yeah mm. well it's working for you well yeah yeah, yeah. It takes a while in the book um the old, one of the older character um characters Carla describes a new set of attributes that the younger crowd carry she calls it the new sincere the new anti-irony and I wondered if you could talk about where this comes from. I, I read it and I was like, what, what, what is this? What is, what is this? Like, is this for real or is she taking the piss? I, I think it's because I am Carla's age and mm. I grew up in this very kind of ironic age of irony and yeah, yeah. nothing's for real. Yeah, I really love it. It's one of my favourite things. Like, I remember when someone saying to me really disparagingly when I was living in Dunedin, they said, most people define themselves by what they don't like, Pip, but you define yourself by what you do like. You know, and like, he, you know, he was like, enthusiasm. You know, and like, I just, um, and I did feel that. I really yeah. felt that, that cynicism was the thing that just, I was working towards every day of my life, you know, and I do see this difference now, like this willingness to say 
And I, I'm always scared about generational things because, yep. you know, people are different in different generations. But in the art that's coming out and possibly in some of the, um, you know, and especially in the literature that's coming mm. out, there's this willingness. I mean, David Foster Wallace, uh, um, whoops, sorry. Um, but um, <laughs> he wrote this amazing essay about sentimentality and I find it incredibly attractive, the idea that maybe there will be a move towards sentimentality and, you know, just... Yeah, I, I, the celebration of sentiment and the celebration of kindness, I think that's the other thing I really love about today is that, you know, kindness is okay. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking, oh, kindness is the new cool because for so many years it was like, meh, look at her, you know, mm. but it's just, yeah, and I'm really excited about that. But I still value irony. Yeah. Irony is still awesome yeah. as well. Well, you know, we have got a prime minister who says, you know, we're going to be kind. Yeah. We're going to be, yeah. yeah. But... um. <laughs> I mean, at this and at the same um, time, I would say yes, there is a sort of um, maybe more of an allowance for sentimentality. And I know, you know, someone who's had a huge amount of success is um, Hera Lindsay Bird, who openly says, you know, I write these sentimental love poems. But I would say that the other end of that, you get these sort of um, the insta poets and who kind of write little aphorisms, and they're really sentimental. And I don't see them as literature. But you know they, these these are hugely popular writers. So I don't know. Do you is there a line you draw with this or no? No, I'm really yeah. I just I just love it. I just, I know, and I mean I totally see. You know, like I just I just absolutely love it. Actually, aphorisms. I didn't even realize there was a name for those until I oh. went to this lecture at the poetry and essay um, conference this year. And like yeah. I just I don't know. Like I just yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really bad yeah, I have zero it. taste like I mean that's I which mm. is bad because you can't it's about fashion it's, yeah um, but yeah like you know like I just I just ugh, bring it on mm. like Pac-Man interesting like, yeah okay so um one of the comments that's been made in the media um since you won the prize has been how your writing has not been universally liked or praised um and I think it's fair to say that you've had your share of not just mixed reviews but aggressively anti your writing reviews people sort of I feel like a lot of um, reviewers have gone out of their way to not actually try and meet the book in an open-hearted way um, and so, so much so that people have penned defences of your work um, Carl Schocker wrote a, a defence of the new animals uh, late last year on the spin-off um, I think there's a lot to say around this um, because I actually think it points to a larger concern about how we read fiction um, namely that many readers, um, present company excluded of course, um, want to be drip fed information and they want emotional payoffs, they're not interested in novels that push against the boundaries in art, they want easy entertainment and then I think but then why should they want their boundaries pushed, why shouldn't they want to just lie on a sofa and have a good time with characters that are likeable mm. and relatable because this is one thing that often gets um, Leveled against you is that you don't write likable characters, and I just wanted, to, in terms of some of the reaction to your work, do you think that this is true that it's it's about this kind of likable, relatable, easy, <laughs> easy read thing, or is there something else going on? I remember, um, I remember Fergus, Fergus and Damien Wilkins have both said this to me, where they've gone, it's not an easy book, and I've gone. Oh, and they've gone. You fucking know it's not an easy book, and like that's just me. You know, like I do have this idea of sort of faux kind of like, 
oh, surprise, they didn't like it. Oh, poor me. <laughs> you know, and really in reality, um, you know, this is the great thing about not making money. At, oh, except I just made some money out of writing books. But, like, <laughs> but I mean, this is one of the great things about how it isn't a job job and how there isn't someone waiting because I entertain myself, you know. And, like, I'm, like, I was just reading over it and I'm, like, what if I make this bad writing like what if I make this you know what if I break all the rules about a good sentence what if I break all the rules about sort of like that that fourth wall you know like what if I say I'm not going to make the narrator disappear I'm never going to let you sit down and realize that you're comfortably settling into a book and yeah and I don't know like I I don't know like right from the start I was interested in stuff that pushed me away you know and like I'm interested in where what how far you can go that way and I don't think mine's anywhere close to that you know like some of the stuff I've read you know yeah I don't know it's an interesting thing and um it's painful when it's happening you know that's the other thing I just you know like it is really painful when it happens like when someone when says a review. yeah like when yeah. someone says who cares about menopausal women, you know, or... Yeah. Um, God, I remember that one. Yeah, I liked that one. I got this feeling that as he finished, he went... Yeah, oh, no, totally. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and that's great, you know. I mean, there's got to be room for that kind of review. I actually filed those reviews under Dork from the Herald. We <laughs> <laughs> have to be kind. No, um, but I think there's plenty of room. There's so much room for that kind of reviewing. But what's odd, um, I was talking to Dominic Hui the other day, and he comes from a background of hip-hop, and he was saying the first time his book got an unkind review, he rang the thing and said, who do I talk to about telling this, uh-uh, whether, uh-uh. Because that's what he did in hip-hop. You know, if someone says something mean, you would say something mean back. And we just don't seem to have any of that conversation. There's not a conversation back to the reviewer you know which is kind yeah. of the only person I've seen do it really well was Bretton Jukes like he just it was just the most oh, magnificent what comment. Did he do? well someone put this review of um, Birdland on um, on a blog and he wrote a comment back and he just said look there's there's eight factual errors in your review and there are several um, I think he said something like there's several um, errors in taste but we'll leave those <laughs> and that was just that was really beautiful <laughs> Has your has your attitude um, changed over over the period you've been writing? The New Animals is your third book, and I mean I know that with each book you've had these reviews. And has your attitude towards them changed? Have you have you hardened, or are you still soft in the middle? <laughs> I thought I'd hardened, and then they yeah I thought I'd hardened, but um, I think it's just that weird thing. I, I wrote this I wrote this once for this thing Ashley wrote, and I'll stand by it forever. For me, it's always like you take off all your clothes and at home you look in the mirror and I say to myself looking good you know and then or looking okay usually but you know like mm, and then I walk out into public and people start going ah you know and like that's often what it feels like like you write something and you're like I think this is pretty you know I think this is okay I think this is worth your time and then someone says no and yeah my little heart goes mm. And have a wee, and then, but the wonderful thing that I realise is that what a lot of those reviews are saying is shut up. You know, they're saying yeah. stop talking, shut up. And the wonderful thing about writing is that I can just go to my my computer and just go, you know, like, you know, like I mean, nothing needs to be published ever again. But I can write the next story or I can write the next sentence, and you know, I haven't shut up. You know. So how does it? How do you feel then? Kind of winning this prize? Does that feel like? 
I mean, because that's an interesting relationship to have. Because in a way, it's like you don't want to look for outside validation because if that's what you were looking for, those reviews would ruin you. But it's sort of human too, as well. It's really. I was I was joking with someone the other day. I was like, um, yeah, I have to give up my outsider cool, you know, like outlaw kind of. Yeah, I've never had that. Um, but yeah, I, it is really interesting. Like it just it bemuses me. But I am just so incredibly grateful. Like I think with anything like that and. I must say as well that group of people judging it was incredibly mm. huge for me as well. Mm. Like you know, I I have a huge connection with um you know how late it is, how late you know he is one of my favourite writers, and then the person who chose that book for the Booker Prize was one of the judges, and like it just it means heaps. Yes, it means so much, and yeah. and it's you know and it's just it's I'm so grateful the people that have bought the book, like you know like these people have said one thing, people have said it's not you know like there's still all that other stuff out in the world but people have still been willing to buy it and yeah, yeah I'm really grateful or read it at the library or it, it feels like a de- like a really deliberate choice not a compromise or oh he's a writer who's done a lot of good stuff they need a prize you know now <laughs> it feels like actually they were going out on a bit of a limb and this doesn't always happen you know mm, it doesn't yeah. always happen with yeah. these prizes um can we talk about the ending of the book yeah um I, we're not, are we allowed to talk about what happens yet, or is that... When, when are you allowed to start giving spoilers? Not, not 12 months. <laughs> 12, 12 months. months. Well, it's been 12 months. Uh, I'll be careful. No, no, I'm, not going, careful. I'm not going to do that. Um, but I, I just wondered about if we could talk about how you kind of shift the energy of the, of the narrative and how you do this and why you do this. It's a very vague, big question, but there is a big shift. Yeah, um, I've always been in love with the Baroque and the Capital R Romantic. Like I just, um, yeah, the first kind of adult book I ever read was Wuthering Heights, and I read it every year or so. And I just love that big lift, you know, that big lift of the heart, that big outpouring of. I just love the big, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the the massive mountains and the huge sea and the big thunderstorm, and I just love all that stuff. But I just felt like I couldn't, I'm not a good enough writer to write an entire book like that and for it not to seem overwrought. And um, so I was always, that was kind of the part that I was wanting most to write. And um, what's interesting about that, I was talking to someone yesterday about it, is that it didn't come, the voice and the sound for that didn't come right until the last paragraph. So I was running through the book, the way through, I got the last paragraph right and I was like, ah, which I think is a good advertisement for keeping writing. Like I'm a bit of a cantilever writer where I'll say I'll get this right and then I'll go there and now I've got that right, you know, and keep wanting to go like that. But with that second half, I I really, uh, sorry, it's only about the last third, but like I was like, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working, you're going to have to throw it, it's not working, it's horrible, it's horrible, it's horrible. And then honestly, the very last sentence almost, I was like, ah, oh, this is the way. And then I was able to take that noise that it was making mm. and go back and check every other bit of it against that noise, you know. So, um, And so was it that long when you when you got to that point? Because it's yeah, quite a long yeah. part of yeah, the book. Yeah, it was that know? long. I, yeah. I kept going for Gosh. that. <laughs> it was so stupid. It was such a fool's errand. But that was the thing. Like, I mean, I, you know, like, I... I don't know, are you always writing like that? Like, Do you find that, like, I'm always writing into the dark. I'm never expecting anything to be published. I'm never expecting anyone to read anything. Mm. So, like, I'm just entertaining myself. Like, some, It does show yeah. a certain amount of resilience, though. 
you think do you think that you're a resilient person <laughs> is it re- all resilient writer bloody minded bloody minded yeah I don't know. Yeah. like just just say what's the word i don't know yeah that is a word bloody minded yeah but you know it's just i mean it was just so weird because the thing is this was all written in those little 15 minute blocks you know so it was just like at 7 a.m i have to write yeah you know i have to write 700 words they're not going to be good 700 words so it never felt like i was putting it didn't feel like an act of will it just felt like Ah, uh, okay. Now's the time, blah, blah, yeah, yeah. You know, and is that a way of tricking yourself to keep yeah, going? Yeah, you think? yeah, yeah. I sometimes write in emails to myself because ah. I so because a word document looks scary. It's like, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, does anyone in the in the audience today have any questions they'd like to ask Pip? You can ask her anything. <laughs> what star sign are you, Pip? I'm a Leo. A Leo. Oh, I don't know anything about. Leo. Not a very good Leo. Yeah. Oh, okay. Human brain, 
but yeah yeah they, they were very important to me the animals yeah I just read a wonderful essay on this subject oh, called yeah. The Second Body by Daisy Hildyard. Has it, have you read that? Yeah. Amazing book. Um, and that is about a sort of uh, this idea that we inhabit our, this body as an individual and then we have the second body which is the sort of anything I do affects the um, farmer in Bangladesh or the seagulls flying over my head at the south coast yeah and it's wonderful that kind of human animal connectiveness yeah, yeah. so are you are you working on a space opera now what are, what are you working on I'm working on I'm working on a Hare Krishna no I'm, I'm working <laughs> working on a book that you don't set, have to say too much oh, no, I, like, I yeah. do I'm working on a book that's set in Invercargill um, which is where my family's all from and it centers around ideas of the sex industry and rape and it's real it's a real up book um and yeah possibly automation in in that industry so yeah they're they're they're, um yeah wow um yeah i'm very interested in you know again it's all bodies man it's always bodies Bodies, all the time yeah (laughs) that is a big that is a big part of your writing it always has been yeah yeah they confuse it because they have such a strange relationship with my own you know like i um you know, I have a I I don't really understand what I look like in space, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't and I you know, there are all sorts of ways that my body is strange to me and yeah, so I'm always trying to work out how other people are in their bodies, you know, like and how mm. do you do this? Mm. Like yeah. When when do you find time to write? Because you have uh, I know that you do a few different jobs, you teach creative writing, you're also um a part of the Write Where You Are Collective, um and which teaches writing in prisons, is that Sort of how you describe yeah, it, yeah. That sounds good. And you do kind of freelance writing as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So, 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 where, <laughs> you know, where and how do you actually do the physical act of writing? Um, what worked really well for me with this is to write every day, even if it's just for five minutes, because I think that a lot of the writing happens subconsciously, and if I can give myself something subconsciously to chew on, I think that works really well. So I haven't been doing that lately because I. You know how some works will work like that and some works mm. won't? And this thing that I'm writing at the moment is not, it's not falling into place in a way that I can write it sort of 700 words at a time. But, um, you know, like, I don't know, like, I, I'm, I'm very, I say in the acknowledgements here, I have this real concern that my child is going to remember me as someone who said, I'm just popping upstairs, you know, like, I just. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, and what's great now is that they're doing their own sort of artistic practice. So often we can work together doing that in the same room. But um, yeah, it, it's hard. That's like the million dollar question. But I do remember when um, Tuki was very small, I used to talk to my phone and stuff like that. Like I'd, I'd say. I'm starting a story and then I'd take them for a walk and I'd see someone over there and I'd think, oh, that guy's in my story or, you know, what does that guy think of that? You know, so I feel like, and it was actually, it was Elizabeth and Jenny Bornholt who's talked about that once, you know, that you're always writing, you know, like, and, and sort of giving credit to the fact that reading is writing and looking is writing and thinking is writing. Yeah, it's, it's all writing. Yeah. (laughs) She says. Do you do that thing, do you do that thing, uh, a number of writers talk about how they'll, they won't finish a scene. They'll leave it unfinished ah, or a yeah. sen- even a sentence unfinished. So when they come back, they, they're not having to sort of 
power up the whole machine again. It's I did try that with this. Yeah, I, yeah, I did. I did try that a few times when I remembered to end mid sentence, and it was really helpful because, you know, after a day where I thought it was going, it would go in a different direction. So it was kind of cool, and it's good just for craft training. You know, yeah. like what does come after that, or what does come after the cat, or yeah, yeah, no cats in the book. Sorry, no cats, but a very very good dog. Yes. Well, actually, a very bad bad dog, dog. Bad, bad good dog. Does anyone have any other questions they'd like to ask? Yes, so. Hi. Oh, hey, Sue. Um, I know you've always been interested in fashion, and um, I'm just interested, because I also think about your book as being a book about the environment, environmental mm. issues, mm. Um, and I just wondered, having finished the book, where, how, how have you reconciled fashion and the environment, and did the writing of the book, getting those words out and forming a story, did that change the way you think about fashion and how it rubs up against the environment? Whoa, those are really good questions. Um, I think the thing for me is in the research that the waste was really hard to see. You know, like I, I live my life a lot of the time kind of thinking, la-di-da, you know, like it goes in the recycling box, then it goes and it gets recycled, it's so lovely, you know, and, or I put it in the clothing bin and then it gets, someone buys it and they love it and, you know, and I think that looking at that waste square in the eye was just, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking, you know, like it was just, um, and it makes me, I've got to be really careful because it can, sometimes I feel like physically claustrophobic about it, like sometimes I just feel quite weird about it, but it has, it has changed my mind, you know, like I, I think before, you know, because I didn't have a lot of money to spend on clothes, I would think to myself, um, oh, I, I can buy that $25 pair of trousers, you know, because I want to look good, you know, and like now I'm feeling slightly more like, you know, I'm very grateful for secondhand clothes, you know, like I'm really grateful for secondhand clothes because I still don't, I know it seems so, I'm such a different person now because I have all this money sitting over here. But, you know, I don't feel like I'm someone who can justify spending a lot of money on an outfit. And there was an interesting thing, Minnie Cooper was talking about, we just need to buy less, you know. And I was thinking, that's a really nice idea, you know. And um, and it's that odd thing, isn't it? Because once you, I was thinking about it when I was walking down here, like once you take away the option of sort of fast fashion, that's where I buy my taste, you know what I mean? Like, if you know, like, once I'm buying secondhand clothes, it's all about me, you know, it's a different, you know, it's kind of like, I thought this was cool, and, you know, it's not in the window of that shop, but I thought, yeah, so it's, all those things did start to jumble up, but I've just got to be really careful, because I can get really frightened, like, mm. I found myself the other day just standing with this plastic container, yeah, paralysed, and I think that, I think, you know, that's a privileged position to be in, but, it, yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. I like to learn how to knit. That's yeah. what I realised when I um, wrote the book. But, yeah. yeah. That is scary. It's really scary. Yeah. yeah. Knitting. knitting, yeah, knitting. Oh, <laughs> knitting horror. I would like the, to read the that. Knitting <laughs> yeah, with a knitting Well, my grandmother used to, she grew up in Winton, and her house used to look over on Minnie Dean's garden. So Ooh, we have okay. a long knitting tradition oh, in my family. Oh. Can, we, can we finish on something slightly more yeah. hopeful? Yeah. What, what would that be? <laughs> do you, I mean, do you feel... I know um, I heard you talk quite a bit at the Auckland Writers Festival and one of the things that you talked to, uh, said a few times was that for that next generation coming through, I guess our children, uh, the, the sort of the teenagers and the 20-year-olds, um, 
you know, they are coming up with a lot of really cool ideas to, to help us change the way we live. But it is going to take a massive, a massive kind of uh, massive, massive um, shift in the way we think and act and what we do. Do you feel a sense of hope, I guess, when you look back? when you look at those younger people yeah yeah I mean I I definitely do I I'm gonna say something really dark I feel a lot of hope for the planet I think once we're gone this is going to be a much better planet like I really I really sorry but yeah I mean and I think that that kind of that willingness to let go of our own importance gives me hope if you know what I mean like that thing where I sort of think no humans and then you know, I see an ant or a cockroach or something and I think, oh, that's a lively, exciting society that probably has art that I don't understand and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And But on the short, well, who knows what term, you know, like I do have hope and I'm interested in how this generation are integrating this idea of um, extinction into their, their way of being, you know what I mean? Like I don't think Tuki would never dream of you know like asking oh yeah sorry uh, I shouldn't keep bringing them up but I mean you know like I don't think they would dream of asking for a plastic bag or you know and I I do think and I feel bad because you know all this pressure's on them but the stuff that they are doing is just so wonderful like I listen to a lot of YouTube and I listen to a lot of YouTube podcasts and um you know like it's just I don't know there's there's a lot of hope and activity and yeah yeah, I don't know well one I mean I do for me um the very last part of your book is darkly hopeful because of that that sort of evolution that that because I feel like all of the characters are quite stuck Mm. and scared and then and then um LED sees this way (laughs) this other way of being and it's almost like well that's actually the only option I've got you know, so mm. I, I do think there is, you know, evolution maybe of the Yay. human animal. Evolution yeah. of the human animal. Yeah, that yeah. That would be good. Yeah. Um, okay, I think we might. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Thank um, you for coming. So thanks everyone for coming and Pip will be signing books uh, here if you if you want to come and um, ask her a question or talk to her about something or get her to sign a book. And can I just say thanks to Unity for hosting us. Thank you, Unity. Yeah.